Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, there's a, a ton to talk about. Um, we're, we're right on the, the verge of, of going into the, the great holiday of, of Sukkot. So we've had uh, the month of Elul, we've had Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and now it's about to be Sukkot. So um, let me just begin uh, with, with kind of a, a bit of an overview of where we are right now. Um, a, a sort of a, a beautiful teaching that's been resonating with me a lot for the last year. La- last year, at, around this time, before uh, Rosh Hashanah, I was up in Ottawa, and I had um, an opportunity to to hear a speaker there um, who is a, a world-renowned uh, heart specialist, and his name is Robert Roberts, and... Um, and uh, I, I talked to another very prominent cardiologist here in, in, in Los Angeles, and, and he really has a, uh, Robert Roberts really has this worldwide uh, reputation as, as, a, as a great expert in, 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 in the, the anatomy and, and, and cardiology, you know, different, different the, the, the science of the heart. And he was talking from a scientific perspective, but I am adding this from a Torah perspective to his words, but what he said from a scientific perspective, uh, perspective is that organs of the body regenerate themselves, meaning to say that they that new cells come in all the time and after a certain period of time they complete they're 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 different. They're they they all new cells have replaced all the old cells. Now the heart is slower to do this process. That in itself is interesting. Um, the heart is slower to do this process than other organs. And what he said was that the heart regenerates itself every three weeks. And what, to me, when I heard that, especially right as we were about to enter into, into Rosh Hashanah, what I, what I heard was, I think everyone knows that the period between Rosh Hashanah and Hoshana Rabbah is exactly three weeks. It's 21 days. So in other words, what are we doing right now we're regenerating a new heart for ourselves, but in the in the in the deepest sense of, of what that means, you know, um, and and so so you say okay, so that's that's a, that's a new heart, but what, what was that term that you used, Hoshana Rabba? What's what, what's Hoshana Rabba? You know, I know Rosh Hashanah, I know Yom Kippur, but what is this Hoshana Rabba business? Well, Hoshana Rabba is actually one of the great days. Um, in the in the uh, Torah, in the Torah um, universe, which is the universe, and um, but it gets very little play. But to show you the significance of Hoshana Rabbah, we say that the that the decree, so to speak, of the of the coming year, right? It's written on Rosh Hashanah, it's sealed on Yom Kippur, but it's delivered on Hoshana Rabbah. So, Hoshan, so in other words, even after Yom Kippur, there remains an opportunity for us to be able to be able to assure a favorable year for ourselves, a favorable decree. Um, so we have to figure out a bunch of things like, what is this Hoshana Rabbah business? How do we how do we do it? How does this tie into the fact that Hoshana Rabbah is the last day of su- of Sukkot? Um, you know, why doesn't the Torah uh, discuss um, Hoshana Rabbah more if it's playing such a crucial role and is in some way on par or the culmination 
of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? We've got lots and lots and lots of questions. Um, and, and I think some, some beautiful answers, too, in, in my opinion, just in terms of just how to put the whole thing together. See, just, just as an aside, as I've sort of, you know, been able to, to, to learn over the years and things like this, I, I used to feel as though each one of these holidays was just sort of like a, you know, it's sort of like, now it's Rosh Hashanah, you know, it's like, gotta, and then it's like a few days later, it's sort of, hey, it's Yom Kippur, you know, and then it's like, and then suck, and then suck, okay, suck us, why not, you know, throw in another one, you know, but, but just the idea that there's a, an actual um, uh, method to the pattern of the holidays, you know, sometimes we just get so overwhelmed by each of the holidays, which is normal. But, but then also to simultaneously see that the, the road that you're on really helps to deepen the experience and, and to, to understand what's going on. Because, see, here's, what, here's the downside of not having a broader perspective. Is that you can maybe turn your, your holy switch on and off. Sort of like, okay, since I don't realize that I'm always in it, you know, that I'm always amidst the holiness, if you will, then it's sort of like, okay, so when I'm in shul, I'm, I'm holy, right? But when I'm not in shul, not so holy. By the way, I'm gonna, I want to make a, a point of saying this in shul later because it's a, really a total aside, but we'll get back to the whole point of the pattern and everything like that in a moment. But I just want to just say this one thing. People should really do their best not to talk in shul, not to have conversations in shul. It's really important. And it just hit me as a, a way to communicate this to, to people. Um, and um, so the question is, why, why can't you, at least here in California, why can't you smoke in a restaurant? So it's my business. I paid for the cigarettes right? It's my lungs. So let me smoke in a restaurant. What business is it of yours? Well, the answer is very obvious. Your smoking affects all the other people. (laughs) And it completely impacts their experience. You say, yeah, but it's, it's my cigarette. Yeah, but this is, there's, there's, so, so, so the analogy is, is clear, I think is that when a person talks in shul, their conversation is affecting everybody else's experience. Right? So it's not fair. It's just not fair. Okay, so, so that's, that's, um, that's an aside, but let's get back to this idea of having a broader perspective and, and, um, and understanding that... Um, and understanding the, the importance that it's, it's like you want to avoid the idea that right now I'm in the holiday and I'm overwhelmed by the holiday. Now I'm not in the holiday anymore. So you're like turning on and off the switch. So, so we want to avoid that, that sort of mentality. We want to ideally have this concept of what we call dvekas, which is this idea of, of being attached to God at, at all times. And this sort of, it's a very sort of romantic concept. It's sort of like a a heartsick longing for God, and it's it's this notion of its ongoing love affair, basically, and and that you don't want to just turn on and off. That you want to have a on a regular basis. And something that I saw in the news, just to 
just to highlight this point a little bit further that I thought was very striking, especially on a, on a spiritual level, was that Volkswagen was just um, caught for doing something really outrageous, really, considering just how, um, you know, how, uh, what's the word? The, how, w- with intent, when you do something with intent, how pre-planned? Premeditated. Premeditated, that's the word, thank you. How absolutely premeditated this was. Like sometimes people do some things that are pretty outrageous, but you can sort of cut them some slack and realize, well, they were in the moment and all right, it happens. But then when something happens which is utterly premeditated and, and outrageous, then you're like, whoa. So, so that's Volkswagen in this instance. What did they do? And they were just fined apparently $18 billion for this. That is a really hefty fine. $18 billion. Okay, what did they do? In order to evade um, making their cars more uh, environmentally responsible, right? What they, they came up with a software for inside the car that when the car would be tested for emi- em- emissions, pollutants, it would fool the smog check test. So in other words, another bit of data would sort of like kick in and it would tell the, um, it would tell the, the smog test apparatus that it, was, that it was fuel efficient. Or it would, it would put in controls basically. Yeah, it would go into this efficiency mode. And then as soon as the smog test was over, it would become a pollutant car again where there was no correlation between what it had just told the, the, um, the, the, the testing apparatus. So, so when I heard that, I thought of all of us. Like when a person's in shore, it's Yom Kippur or whatever it is, sort of like our VW fool the smog check apparatus kicks in, you know? And then it's sort of like, we leave shul, okay, then it falls back down, you know, we, we God forbid, become pollutants again, you know? So, so we, have to, we have to escape that type of mentality. And part of the way, part of the way of escaping that mentality is to have a broader perspective and to understand wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we're standing before God. You know, that way, that way we can live with it a little bit more and it makes it, it, makes it much more real. So now let's get back to this idea of um, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and then Hoshana Rabbah. Okay, so what's the, so we said that during these three weeks, because that's a three-week period, just like the anatomy of the heart, just like the heart replaces itself 100% over those three weeks, this three-week process is, the, is us having a new heart, giving ourselves a new heart, a heart of flesh, as they say, as opposed to stone. So, and that idea of having a heart of flesh, this new heart, this is tied to the idea of the, of the circumcision of the heart. Um, um, so what, what does that mean? So this is, this is an unbelievable, it's an unbelievable thing. Um, you see, actually, we're commanded twice regarding, regarding the heart. Um, one is that we should... The word is mol, or if that's the proper pronunciation, mem lamed, that, 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 that's translated as circumcised. But, 
But what it, what, it, what, it, what it actually means is that there's this covering over our heart that we, that's, a, that's a blockage of our heart, which is stopping us from being sensitive human beings or fully aware human beings. You, you can express it in different ways. It's the, it's the blockage between the mind and the heart, or it's the blockage stopping us from feeling for, for other people and being truly empathetic, or it's the, it's, the, it's the shutting down of actually our central nervous system, which is blocking out the sensory perception that, that we're destined to have as human beings, meaning to say that, that, that human beings are evolving. You know, you know the, the joke is, is that this concept of evolution is so Jewish, you can't even imagine. It's, but, but we believe that human beings are evolving and, and, and that the world itself is evolving in the deepest way. So maybe we disagree about what the starting point of the human being was, perhaps. Perhaps we do, perhaps we don't. But, but the, the, the larger point here is that we are, in fact, evolving. And that we are going to be able to sense dimensions beyond the dimension that we're in right now, and we're going to be able to perceive them. And remember, we make this point. It's a, I think it's a very, very important point, especially to make in today's day and age, which is that math and science both say that there are dimensions that we can't see that exist. So in other words, this idea that this is the realm of religion to believe in you know, parts of the universe or reality that we can't see, wow, that's like really kooky, or you've got a lot of belief that you believe such things. Math and science are saying these things. All of academia agrees to these things. So you should have confidence and realize that these things are validating what the Torah has been saying forever. Right? So, and, and not to be, God forbid, embarrassed or ashamed, because, because this is actually what's going on. So when we talk about getting rid of this covering of the heart, right, creating a new heart for ourselves, what we're talking about is also the destiny of the human, of, of humanity and of the world itself, that we will truly have a new heart where we'll be able to see way beyond the confines of what we see right now. Now, I told you that it's mentioned twice to show you how important this is. A very interesting thing. First, it says that we should do it ourselves. In other words, make this transformation within ourselves. Later on, God says, I'm going to do it for you. So, so that's very unusual with a mitzvah. Normally speaking, God just commands the mitzvah. But to command the mitzvah that we should do it, and then later on for God to say, I'm going to do it, tells you, first of all, probably how difficult it is to do. Right? And second, how important it is. And third, how absolutely far-reaching it is. Okay. So, so now let's, let's get back to this pattern that we're in the middle of right now. Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur to Hoshana Rabbah, and we're going to see it in the Parsha also, because it's, there's some amazing illustrations of what I'm talking about in the Parsha itself. So, so let me just say one thing about Yom Kippur, because this was a thought that kind of came over the holiday, and it just 
it's just been staying with me, and I just want to share it with you because I think the, the imagery is really striking, okay? Yom Kippur is the only holiday of all the Jewish holidays that begins with the letter Yud. So everybody knows the letter Yud is like the smallest letter, right? And, um, and what's really interesting is that, well, there are a lot of interesting things, but just to begin with, Yud is the number 10, okay? In, in, in Gematria, Yud is 10. And so Yom Kippur, the only holiday in the Jewish year that begins with the letter Yud, is on the 10th of Tishrei. So it's already telling you where it lands on the calendar. So that's kind of interesting, just the, the time-space aspect of that. Then, we are like angels on Yom Kippur, right? We're not eating, we're not drinking, all sorts of physical things we're not, we're not attached to. So we're like angels on Yom Kippur. The Yud is the only letter that doesn't touch the ground. It's floating. So, so to speak, it's sort of like this, has this angelic quality to it, like us. But now, this is my favorite part of the whole thing, which is, I think all of us at some point in our life have seen footage of a rocket blasting off, and that during its, its ascent, the bottom tiers of the rocket drop off, right? So that it's just the top part of the capsule where the people are. So that looks like the letter Yud also. So in other words, like, what's going on on Yom Kippur? That's us inside the, cas- inside the capsule, just rocketing, 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 beyond, 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 right? And that's all within the letter Yud. So just want to, that's, and we're still basically in that state right now. But now we're, trans- now we're making this, this transition from these 10 days, right? Because remember that Yud is 10, it's the 10th of Tishrei, but it's also the culmination of the 10 days starting with Rosh Hashanah, right? Because it's 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So now we're making, we're in this, this juncture, this, this, this place between this block called Rosh Hashanah through Yom Kippur, and we're transitioning into Sukkot. So now, how do we understand, again, because we want to have a larger view, we want to have the whole pattern taking place here. How do we understand this? Well, the way I heard it um, is that Yom Kippur is fixing your inside and Sukkot is fixing your outside. Right? Or we'll put it another way. Yom Kippur is fixing your soul Sukkot is fixing your body. So, so, again, we understand the soul aspect of it because we're, you know, we're like angels, we're not eating, drinking, we're detached from physicality. And Sukkot, we're taking our whole body into the Sukkah itself. There are very few mitzvahs that you do with your entire body. The mikvah is one of them, you completely submerge. The sukkah is another one. You walk in and your entire body has to be in the sukkah. You have to be submerged, so to speak, in the sukkah. So, so, so we're eating, we're drinking, we're also waving the, 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 the lulav and the esrig. All of these things are very physical actions. We have to build the sukkah. That's extremely physical. We're sleeping in the sukkah. All of these things are sort of like 
embracing our humanity and our physicality. So, so that's one journey that we're going from the inside to the outside. Okay, but let's, let's go deeper into this point. You see, a lot of people don't understand, and, and I'll count myself in this group, because it was only really, I think, this year that it began to register, this point, which is that Yom Kippur is really the holiday of the receiving of the Torah. And so you probably say, well, wait a second, isn't that Shavuos? I thought that's Shavuos. Like, that's, we're at Mount Sinai, and we get the Torah on Shavuos. But there's a big, there's a big P.S. to Shavuos. Meaning to say, Moshe Rabbeinu, right? Moses is at the top of Mount Sinai. God is speaking to approximately two and a half million people simultaneously. No other religion dares to say such a thing. No other religion, every other religion has like a central prophet who tells the rest of the people, trust me. Here you have something absolutely incredible, unprecedented. God speaking simultaneously to millions of people who all heard it. Incredible, absolutely incredible. And you know, like the whole world has been wondering for thousands of years, how are there still Jews? How is it possible with all the persecution, all the torment, all the exile, that there's still Jews? And the answer is, you know what? If God talked to you, you'd also, you know, like, uh, how can we not? You know, sometimes there are two levels. There's one, how can you, right? How did I do it? But there's another level. How can I not do it? In other words, this Sinai experience, because it says that Every Jewish soul was there, and every soul of every future convert was there as well. Meaning to say we were all there. We all heard God speak, and that's so embedded in our essence that it's just fueling us till Mashiach comes. I mean, that's just, it's like game over. Like, what are you going to do? How can you not? How can you not? But there was a problem. The problem is, is that even though we all heard it, And how did we hear it? How did we hear it? We said something which was a great praise to our, to, to the Jewish people to this day. Maybe the greatest moment the Jewish people collectively ever had as a people was when we said the words, Na se v'nishma. That means that we will do it and we'll hear it. And over the years, you know, people have said about the Jewish people, you know, what an impetuous people. They said they would do it without having heard it first. And so the Medrash says that God wanted to give the Torah to other nations. And the other nations first said, well, what's in it? No stealing? Not for us. No killing? Not for us. And then God said to the Jewish people, I have a Torah for you. And we're like, if it's from you, we'll do it. Whatever it is, we'll do it. And we'll find out the details later. So, so it said about this, this, this acceptance, this full-on acceptance of the Torah. Who taught the Jewish people the secret of the angels? Because this is what the angels do. The angels have such a heightened awareness of God and of the goodness of God that it's just 
Of course we're going to do it. Just, whatever, just tell us what it, whatever it is, whatever it is we have to do. But it begins with a complete acceptance. Now, what's the problem that I was alluding to? All that sounds very positive. All that sounds very, very good. The problem is that Moshe Rabbeinu never got back down to, as we say, terra firma, firm ground with the tablets. As he started to come down, he smashes the tablets because we're worshiping the golden calf. And by the way, it was a very small number of the Jewish people, and it was the Arab Rav, sort of like the people who left with us from Egypt, who were basically the, the great majority of people who were doing it. But nonetheless, it's counted as a, as a strike against the entire Jewish people to this day. I'm just saying that to put it into perspective, because you shouldn't think that somehow millions of people were, were participating in this, in, this, um, in, this, in this crime, essentially. It, 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 that, that's not what happened. And the Torah itself says that. But nonetheless, it was still considered so great that it's, it's, it's as though somehow we all had a level of responsibility to stop it, even if we weren't participating in it. And somehow that didn't take place. There was a mass confusion, basically. But we've given many talks on what happened with the golden calf. That's not for now. The point that I want everyone to hear is that the tablets didn't make it all the way down. That it didn't land. And as such, we got an A-plus for being angelic human beings, but we got, like, basically, you know, more of a failing grade for being actual human beings, elevated human beings. In other words, our fit, our, our, the angelic side to our character did spectacularly well, but the physicality of ourselves never got completely rectified. And you see, that, that is the bottom line in terms of Midos character development, and real, real elevation is to be an integrated person. And that's the key phrase, to be integrated. You need your body and your soul to be working together as best friends as opposed to enemies. And this is like, that's, that is the ultimate goal. That's the ultimate goal. Because if your mind is in one place and it's, you know, exploring great mysteries of, you know, the angels and things like that. And meanwhile, your body is like running after who knows what. That's a problem. That's a problem. That's lack of integration. That's lack of integration. And this is symbolized by the fact that the tablets never made it fully down to the ground. So, so now I want to go deeper, okay? On Yom Kippur, what happened on Yom Kippur? On Yom Kippur, on the first day of Elul, Moshe goes up to get the second tablets, and he comes down 40 days later with the tablets intact. That's what happened on Yom Kippur. We fully got the Torah on Yom Kippur. That's the greatness of Yom Kippur. Yes, it's a day of, of, pure, of purity. Why is it a day of purity? 
Because it's a day of complete integration. Do you hear the point? This is, a, this is, this is huge. This is not small. This is, this is giant. So, but now I want you to hear something. Now I want you to hear something even deeper, okay? Which is, which is how then do we manifest that integration of Yom Kippur, right? And there's a very holy custom, and if you didn't do it this year, I bless you, you should do it next year, which is that some people begin building their sukkah, and when I say begin building, I mean you could just take out the decorations from the, from the garage, or maybe even better, a pole, or something like that, right? Before they break their fast. In other words, to begin building your sukkah, and then if you really want to be, you know, extra holy, you can start learning some of the Mishnayos of, of the Gomorrah, of the laws of building a sukkah, before you break your fast. Okay? So, so the idea is that the sukkah is the manifestation of that integration. In other words, what did, what did I say was the was the was the lacking point at Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai it never hit the ground, which means it never penetrated our physicality. Right? So what is happening right after Yom Kippur? The Luchos the tablets hit the ground, so to speak, in, in the best sense. In other words, they they land, that's integration. Now we want to show the material manifestation, the physical manifestation of that integration, and that's what the sukkah is. And with that in mind, you have a, an additional appreciation to something that's absolutely far out, which is that if you spell sukkah with a vav, the gematria of that is 91, which is two names of Hashem standing for heaven and earth together. Yudke Vavke, which is 26, and Aleph Dalad Nun Yud, which is 65. That's master of heaven and earth. That's the word sukkah. Heaven and earth coming together. Which is exactly what we're talking about. The soul and the body coming together. Because your soul is a piece of God. That's heaven. And your body is made out of the earth. The name Adam comes from the word Adama, which means earth. It means ground. So now you have this incredible manifestation. Now, I want to add something to this. I shared this on Shabbos, but then after, after, Shabbos, or after I said it, I was thinking about it some more. I was like, well, wait a second. So what am I saying here? I'm saying that there's this integration that takes place on Yom Kippur, right? Because the tablets come down to the ground, and then that's, that's an integration. And then you're expressing, manifesting that integration on Sukkot with the Sukkah, which is two names of God together, heaven and earth. But I was like, okay, but wait a second, you know, you never want to make the same point twice. So what's the difference between this integration of Yom Kippur and this integration of Sukkot? Right? Because otherwise, why would we have a special holiday if it was the exact same thing? So then the following hit me. And for me, anyway, this was deep. Listen to this. I want to say like this. Yom Kippur is the celebration 
of the soul's triumph over the body. Yom Kippur is the celebration of the soul's triumph over the body. You see, because look, you know, a lot of people, the question is, for all of us, and this changes maybe multiple times over the course of a day, sometimes it can change multiple times over the course of an hour. Who's behind the driving wheel? Who's behind the steering wheel? Is it your soul or your body? <laughs> is your soul driving the car and your body is a guest in the back seat? Or is your body driving the car and your soul is a guest in the back seat? Right? And this can change multiple times, probably over the course of a minute even. Okay? So, so you want, ideally, for the soul to be the one behind the, the driver's wheel. Okay? Okay. So that's, that's what happens on Yom Kippur. Whatever's been going on up until then, the soul gets behind the driver's wheel and the body's in the backseat. The, the body's the passenger. All right. Now listen to this. So then what happens on Sukkot? On Sukkot, listen carefully, the body celebrates being conquered by the soul. <laughs> On Sukkot, the body celebrates being conquered by the soul. Now, all of you, I mean, unfortunately, this war has dragged on for more than a decade with Iraq and Afghanistan and all these things. You, so, so, what's, so everyone's seen, this, seen headlines like this. You conquer a village, right? Like, whoever, name your invading army, right? Conquers a village. And how do the villagers feel about it? Not good. <laughs> they're not, they've been conquered. They're not happy at all. They are not happy at all. <laughs> so, you see, it's one thing to say, and, and now we're going to get to a shot, an explanation of why Sukkot is called Zman Simchasenu. Why is every holiday, in fact, we have a, a Torah mitzvah, it's one of the 613 commandments to be happy on Pesach. Be happy! <laughs> it's an order. It's a divine order from God to be happy. And yet, so, so why isn't that called Zman Simchasenu, the time of our happiness? Right? We have the same commandment on Shavuos. But only Sukkot is called Zman Simchasenu. So on Sukkot, listen to this, something unbelievable. The body is celebrating and it's so happy that the soul is behind the driver's wheel. Because we intuitively understand that that's the way it's supposed to be. That's, that's the harmony of a human being. That the, soul, that the soul is making the choices. And that the soul and the body are best friends. Right? The soul is not... The soul is not some sort of like military, you know, like dictator yelling at the body. By the way, I, I did a, a two-part talk. You can look it up. It's on the website on TorahOnitunes.com called um, Are You Too Strict? <laughs> Parts 1 and 2. And um, 
you can check those talks out because um, you know I talk about this this concept of this this false paradigm of the oh so if the if you want the soul being in charge of the body oh I know what you mean like the Taliban right like that's what we want no that's not what we want <laughs> it's not what we want it's there's there they should be best friends best friends best friends. You see, but then you say, well, how can they be best friends when the soul is telling the body not to do certain things? Well, let me, have you ever had this conversation? Like every kid at a certain point needs to wrestle with this great, like the equivalent of a great scientific problem or philosophical problem, which is, I love chocolate. Why wouldn't 50 candy bars be the greatest joy in my life? To eat them all at once. Like a kid who's like really young literally can't wrap their mind around why that doesn't make any sense. It's like, and they'll tell you, it's simple math, dude. <laughs> One candy bar is great times 50, bliss. It's so obvious. Like, you know, you just don't get it. <laughs> right? You know, this is, this is, the, this is the, you know, the, the downside of youth. Right? You know, I once made a mathematical formula, which is, which is intelligence plus experience equals wisdom. <laughs> Say it again. Intelligence plus experience equals wisdom. See, I, you, you can make lists and lists and lists and lists of all the horrors intellects have inflicted upon the world. <laughs> You know, let's start with communism. You know, you could start anywhere, but let's just start with communism. It's like, what could be better than the workers controlling all means of production and everyone being equal? What could be better than that? That's, we're talking about utopia. So, yeah, but people have different talents and people have different ways of expressing themselves and to, to governmentally enforce a, this this type of, of of an equality based on on a on a salary is is a weird form of dystopia, and of course millions and millions and millions, probably tens of millions of people probably died from 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 this system. But it was born from a very good idea, but with there was no there was no wisdom attached to it. So. So, yes, the soul and the body can absolutely be best friends because the body doesn't actually truly want everything that it tells you that it wants. Or even if it does want it, the soul knows better than the body. The soul just knows better than the body. And how does the soul know? Because the soul is a piece of God, and God gave us the Torah. And the Torah is that blueprint for ultimate harmony. So I told you, so, so just to make the point one more time, during these three weeks, we're making ourselves a new heart. Okay? And Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, that's what we call Tshuva Me'ava. That, or, I'm sorry, Tshuva Me'ira. That means that we're returning to God from the standpoint of awe, 
That means God's up there and I'm one of his creations and I'm in the king's palace and I, I, I have to behave like a, I have to behave in my proper place. I'm, I'm a subject of the king, right? Then we enter into, that's the fixing of the inside. Then we have the fixing of the outside, starting with sukkahs. That's chuva me'ava. That's returning to God out of love. And now we're going to get back into some of the mysteries of Hoshana Rabbah. Because why isn't Hoshana Rabbah, given the fact that it says the judgment is written on Rosh Hashanah, sealed on Yom Kippur, and delivered on Hoshana Rabbah, why isn't Hoshana Rabbah, like, why, 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 why isn't there more information about it? So remember, it's the last day of Sukkot, okay? which correlates with the day of King David, right? Which is the soul of the Messiah. And it's the culmination of this period of returning to God out of love. So let me ask you something. Everything is contained within the Torah. So where in the Torah does it tell me how to find my husband? Or where in the Torah does it tell me how to find my wife? You want to tell me everything's in the Torah. So where is that? That's what I need to know the most. To give one example. And the answer is, it's not written in the Torah. Because there are certain things that are absolutely hidden. They're absolutely hidden. And they're secrets. You know, I heard from Reb Shlomo one time that there are two types of secrets, right? One type of secret is you didn't know it and then someone whispers it in your ear and now you know it. Another type of secret is someone tells you something about it and at the end you still don't know what it is, (laughs) right? So this is a level of a, this is the level of a secret. And these type of secrets, this This you can only figure out on your own. And you can only figure out through this aspect of a love relationship with God. This level of fixing your own soul, which is the end of of this period of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Hoshana Rabbah, Hoshana Rabbah, the culmination of returning to God out of love. Yeah, you can fix your own soul still. Right? The judgment has not been delivered yet. But, at this point, it's, it's about more than just going down through the checklist of chest poundings, right? At this point, you have to really figure out what's going on inside of you and how you can, how you can fix it, right? The whole point is that, that, that we're not being told. Have you ever been in a relationship? It's, it's one of the more frustrating moments in a relationship. So I'm certainly not endorsing this as as a way to conduct a successful relationship. But has anyone ever told you this? No, I need you to figure out what you did wrong. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's, that's, that's a hard one. That's a hard one. That's a hard one. Because you have to do a lot of thinking at that point. You got to do a lot of work. You know, there's one, there's one level which is like, tell me what I did, and I'm not going to do it anymore. That's one level. 
And then there's another level. You know what? You're just going to have to figure it out. <laughs> now, if you don't, if you're not invested in a love relationship, you know what you say? You know what? I want to do my best. Tell me what it is, and and I'm going to do it. So that's. In other words, to be at that level where you really want to fix it and you want to do the work to figure out what it is, that takes a lot of love. It takes a lot of love and it takes a big investment. And, um, and of course, we're talking about us and God right now. That's the subject. I'm just illustrating it. You know, one of the things that always moved me very deeply in terms of learning from Reb Shlomo was that he always put things in terms of relationships. So he's talking about soulmates. He was talking about God, but he was always talking about soulmates and he was talking about couples and things like that. But, but it was just a way of making real the fact that we're in this amazing relationship with God. And sometimes, maybe especially in our generation or whatever it is, or maybe it's just me personally, you really hear it better if, if it's phrased in terms of a relationship, right? But right now, I'm really not talking about husband and wife. You know, I'm just using that as an illustration to talk about us and God, right? So, so, so as an expression of our love, we say, you know something, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work a little bit harder, not from a checklist now, not from a checklist now, but to figure out what it is inside of me that's unique inside of me in order to, in order to be able to really put the finishing touches on my new heart. Okay. So... So now, I want to show you how you see these things in the Parsha, in Parsha's Hazinu. And, um, and then we'll finish up. So, I, I think that you see something, uh, you, you do see something absolutely unique. First of all, let's just, for starters, Hazinu doesn't look like other Parshas. It's in two columns. And it's a song. Okay, and we'll get into all the implications of that in a moment. But one of the first things that I want to point out is that it says in, in, uh, in the Talmud, in, in, uh, on uh, page uh, 29a of Menachos, it, it, it talks about how God created um, this world and the next world with the letters Yud and He. Okay? And you can look it up. They, they go into very interesting detail that I'm not going to mention right now, especially about the letter He there. But the letters Yud and He is what God used in order to create the world. Okay? Now, keeping that in mind, in this Parsha, in Hazino, you have something very, very striking. You have a very large letter He and a very small letter Yud. You know, over the course of over the course of the Torah, I, I learned that every letter at one point appears in large form and in small form. Only one. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe more than once. I, I heard one one time. So, mm. so, but but maybe it's more. I don't know. But the point is, is that is that you've got a large letter somewhere in Tanakh, and that's including you know. The Book of Psalms and Suvim and all the, all the other books, not just the five books of the Chumash. But over the course of that, you'll see a large version and a small version of the letters. In this 
in this time when the, when the world, when our heart is still being created, we have a large letter He and a small letter Yud, which are the two letters that the Talmud tells us that the world was created with. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. Now, why a large He and a small Yud? Okay, so I want to give you my, my understanding. So Yud stands for the next world. That's what the Talmud says. And it's small. He stands for this world. And I'll just give you one more PS. This letter He is usually the large letter and the small letter is part of a word. Okay? But the He here is a separate word, which makes this the only one letter word in the entire Torah. Okay? So that's, that's pretty far out in and of itself. But again, let's go into this idea. The, the small letter Yud, remember Yud was used to create Olam Abba, the next world. He was used to, to, to make this world. The Yud is small, the He is big. How do we understand this? So what I want to suggest is, this is, an, this is a time of the year, probably the time of the year of the most intense spirituality of the entire year, right? So really both letters, so to speak, should be the same size. But as the Yud, which represents the perfected ear that's destined for us, the Yud is Olamaba, as the Yud is getting smaller, it's so to speak, squeezing its holiness into the He, which stands for this world, and so the He is getting bigger. Why? Because it's getting injected with all this Olamaba, with all of this holiness. And you see it very clearly. The Torah is called the blueprint of reality. So you see it really and absolutely, like you could build a building based on this. Absolute clear blueprint terms. You see how the Yud is injecting its holiness and like, you know, other dimensionalness into this sphere, the He, which is getting bigger subsequently. Okay. So, so let's go further. Remember, whatever is going on in the Torah portion of the week, that's what's going on in the world. Now, if you look at the way this is written, I told you it was written in the form of a song. It's really, really dense and complicated. Much more so than other Parshas. Like, like exponentially so. And if you look at the great Torah commentators, they're giving very different understandings of what the meaning of the different lines are. Okay? Now, it's, it's advice. In other words, we're not getting any mitzvahs here. Like, oh, well, this is... Well, that's how you... No, you, do, you don't do the mitzvah like that. You do the mitzvah like this. We're not talking any halachic concepts right now. Moshe is trying to give us advice about how to be better people. But it's, it's working on so many different levels simultaneously as, 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 as seen clearly by the fact that our greatest commentators are giving very different explanations of what the words mean. Much more so than other places in the Torah. Now remember, we're getting to the end of Moshe's farewell address to the world right now. Now Rabbi Nachman of Breslov said that toward the end of his life, we're talking about Rabbi Nachman's life, he's talking about himself, toward the end of his life, he couldn't communicate his Torahs anymore because they were too deep. 
So he put them all in story form. These are Rebbe Nachman's stories. Because otherwise he wasn't able to communicate them anymore. So can you imagine? Moshe Rabbeinu is, so to speak, running out of time. He's finishing up. He's got to express himself. So he's like compacting like tons of levels all in single words so that like the great commentators are going, no, 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 they're saying it from this perspective. No, this perspective. No, this perspective. But now let's get even deeper and like, and, 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 and like just pull the lens out further. In the beginning of the Torah, because the Torah itself is a roadmap from the beginning of the world to the arrival of Mashiach, to the end of days. It's also functioning as a, as a timeline, right? And of course you have to have the right eyes to be able to see how that's, how that's working. But it's, it's also working on that level as well. So in the beginning of the Torah, we've got stories. Everyone can understand them. Children can understand them. You know, and then he said, if she offers me water and water for my camels, you know, then that's the right match for Yitzchak. I mean, it's so clear. That's what he was talking about. Water for him and water for his camels. (laughs) Anyone can understand that, right? That's the beginning of the Torah. Now we get to the end of the Torah, which is correlating with the end of days, which is correlating with the rectified heart, the circumcised heart that I was talking about before, which means the ability to see beyond this dimension. And now all of a sudden we're seeing how the Torah itself is just like whipping up into a tornado before it completely flies away. Because the levels of meaning and mind expansion that are necessary in order to grasp the depths that are coming down at the end of the Torah, which is correlating with the end of days, which is correlating with the circumcising of the heart, which is correlating with the mass expansion of our consciousness, is all there in blueprint form on the page. And it's there in Hazinu, which is just like, So that's where we're at right now, you know? And so what are we doing during that? So it's sort of like, okay, so what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? You know, it's like, that's going on. I got to do something. What do I got to do? So you make a sukkah. (laughs) You make this incredible divine vessel and you live in it. Right? You see... And we'll really finish up with this. See, in uh, we're going to read about the apocalyptic war, right? In the Haftorah, I think it's on Shabbos, Cholamoid, I think that's when we read about it. And it's going to talk about this Gog or Gogumagog, right? Which is sort of like the the great adversary, like the leader of the opposing army, the leader against, you know, the Jewish people against God. And Rabbi Samson Rafoil Hirsch says something so amazing, because we're reading this on sukkahs every year. And what is the defining characteristic of a sukkah? If you could narrow it down to one thing, it's the fact that there's schach, 
like, like the moment, like if someone helps you build your sukkah or builds your sukkah for you, you have to put on the schach. It's important because that's when, that's the moment where, ding, it becomes a mitzvah. And you want to be able to do that, okay? So the schach is the, the palm fronds or the vegetation, whatever you use, to put on the roof where you can see the stars through it and there's no real roof. Now, isn't it interesting, says Rabbi Samson Rafael Hirsch, right? He was a great rabbi in Germany at the end of the 1800s, right? Isn't it interesting that the leader of the opposition, the great army of the opposition that was told to us by, the, by, by our prophet, um, I think it's Yechezkel, I can check now, but that Gog, which is his name, means roof. And you know, you can't have you can't have a roof. That's the whole point. And he says, what is a roof? See, like, you know, when you talk about it from a good perspective, you say, oh man, I really want a roof over my head. Because a roof keeps out the elements. But seen in this spiritual context, what a roof is, it's a separation between you and God. Between heaven and earth. A roof is that statement I am independent of God. I can cut myself off from God and put a roof over my head and I can be independent from God. And this is the great delusion. This is the great delusion. And this is what fuels this is what fuels the the, the opposition to to really the ultimate harmony of the world, which is understanding that, no, 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 no. I, I live within God, right? And, and then that, that, you know, just like a, can you imagine like a, like a baby, like inside your womb, and the baby's just like hanging out, like smoking cigarettes and watching Netflix. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, there's like empty beer bottles scattered around. It's like it's sack, right? And it's like, hey, baby, it's about me. This is about me. This is my show here. And you're like, I'm sorry. We stop smoking. Stop that. What, is that your fifth beer? It's not even noon. You know? Like, how ridiculous is that concept? But that's us and God. And that's the concept of gold. That's the concept of the roof. The concept that there's just this, this thing cutting off heaven from earth and that we're the masters of this domain. It's an utter fantasy. It's a fantasy. And so the rectification of that is this beautiful structure where there is no roof. There is a roof. It's got to block out more sun and more sun. In other words, for a sukkah to be kosher, the majority of the sukkah has to be shade and not sun. The majority has to be shade and not sun. So it is a functional roof in a certain respect, but you also have to be able to see the stars. So there has to be that openness, that, that, that knowledge of what, what system we're operating in, which is to say we're creations of God, we're God's children. And when that awareness is so real among us, 
that we've got to, we're actually living in that awareness. It's not in our heads. We're living in that awareness. And remember, unlike some village in who knows where that's been taken over and the people can't wait to overthrow it, no, but the body is celebrating being aligned with the soul. Celebrating it and living it. Physically living it. And this is really the redemption itself. Okay. Here is a couple of questions and answers. You had mentioned once about the idea that we are still in Sukkot. Yeah. We're in part of this greater yeah, right. redemption yes. process. Yes. Just touch upon that for a minute. Yeah, so basically the idea is it says that when we encamped, okay, so. So everybody knows that we went from Egypt to Israel, okay? And there were 42 stops in the desert, and, um, and, uh, and on a deeper level, that, that is going from exile to redemption, because entering into Israel is really symbolizes the redemption of the world. And we know that actually one of the aspects that Mashiach has come is that there's going to be an ingathering of Jews into Israel. So the entrance into Israel correlates with the redemption. As such, as such, we're talking about a microcosm of the entire history of the world, going from Egypt to Israel during that journey with the 42 stops. And they say that all of us, the Rebbe say, all of us have 42 stops in our own life also. So that going from that trip from Egypt to Israel is all of human history compacted in one paradigm for, for the history of the world. Okay. Now, how did we travel when we went from, from Egypt to Israel? We encamped in sukkahs. We lived in sukkahs. And now, what are we doing today? It's Los Angeles 2015. We're still marching through history on the way to redemption. And what are we living in? Sukkahs. <laughs> in other words, you see, you see, we're the, because we're basically the same souls from there, right? We've just been reincarnated a bunch of times. So it's literally, we're still going from Egypt to Israel, and we're still in this day and age, living in sukkahs. So that march continues. And we're living it. So you just, I mean, it's just dizzying how many just ways to expand and contract time and see it from different perspectives. But, but the story, the story is still, we're still in the middle of the story. It's still going on.